Namaste. There are three parts which operate behind the surfaces of life, screen phenomena if we want to call it. Knowledge that is embedded in the heart of creation at its core, base, head, apex, in each atom of existence, the secret knowledge, the Veda, which is inbuilt within creation and because of which the, the creation moves in a certain direction. And the second power, which is the energy which is in perpetual motion, we call it as life, but constantly, it is everywhere, constantly moving things towards a great goal, determined by the knowledge which is en- embedded in creation. And the third, which is at the center of it all, the saviour, the one that binds this entire creation into a harmony and order, despite the effort and attempt, tremendous effort and attempt of each element to pull it away from the center. Yet it keeps things together and carries them together and it is the power of love. They are embedded in the very stuff of life, in the stuff of things. And whatever we may do, whichever way we may go, Eventually, they have their final word. The great secret of life is to come in contact with these three parts and tune ourselves more and more to their presence and be driven by that. And the great, um, shall I say, disaster of life is to move away from this core and go further and further and try to lead a life which is not in consonance, not in harmony with these three great parts which are hidden behind creation. So today we have to, the subject is works, finding the divine presence through works. And it implies that there are several ways of finding the divine. Of course, we all are aware of it. The path of knowledge is there. In the path of knowledge, we try to find this core knowledge which is hidden at the heart of all creation. How do we do it? We pick up one idea, one single idea, and we, with the help of that idea, dig deep, deep, deep into what that idea represents. That idea could be all is the divine, the highest idea, or divine is in all, or the greatest of all ideas, all is in the divine, the divine is in all, and all is the divine. On the surface, with the surface mind, we understand it in in one way. But as we dig deeper and deeper, it reveals, the idea reveals itself to us. It's hidden possibilities, it is hidden truth. That is how people discovered the Vedas and after the great discovery, million verses of the Vedas sing ultimately the praise of the one. So that's how they discovered Ekamevidvityam, the one without a second. Then the other is the path of works, a path of love which is so beautiful, so sweet, charming and wonderful. It is to discover that love which is hidden in the heart of all creation. It's not what we call as love. What we call as love is a love which is tainted by egoism, tainted by desire. And in a life led by egoism and desire, there is no way that we can even discover this principle of divine love. And the mother gives us a very beautiful way to do it. She says when love enters your life, Try to love without expectations, without demands and go deep inside in a state where you give rather than want and ask. 
and she says if you do it at a point of time you will touch the core which is divine love at the end you will discover divine love and what happens when we discover divine love life grows beautiful that's it so this is the second path and this love need not be we conceive of you know it's everywhere you can pick up a stone and discover divine love it's easier to pick up a stone and discover divine love than loving human beings but because it is difficult therefore it too must be attempted most difficult is to discover divine love in human beings because it's not only your ego but the ego of the other person which comes in the way when you worship a stone it's very easy when you worship god it's wonderful because he is you know he knows only to give and when you worship a stone he will not come in the way but with a human being difficult but yet it should be done because that's the way forward but the path of works the beauty of the path of works is a wide path the path of knowledge can be done by interiorizing oneself the path of love can be a bhakta can be lost in the ecstasy of the soul beloved or even see the beloved in everyone but the path of works is a path that involves everything bhakti need not involve though it must at some point of in time involve the body but bhakti need not involve there are there are states of consciousness in which a bhakta adores the beloved and grows ecstatic in it though bhakti to be complete must have within it knowledge as well as it awakens knowledge because one whom we love we get to know about him and if we get to know about him we know the whole creation that's the whole principle to know the divine is to know everything in its essence and in the details the god lover has knowledge through a different route altogether and similarly when we know god we end up loving him and end up serving him so actually the three the path of knowledge the path of love the path of works though they seem three because they may be three starting points and yet they are intertwined into one so when it is said that the path of works through which we discover the divine it only means that the starting point is works it must culminate in a total integral vision of the divine but works the path of works is easier in this sense that all of us are engaged in some work or the other and therefore it is a very natural starting point for the divine discovery it doesn't require that we sit specifically and in a particular posture with a particular technique and meditate it is a certain set of attitudes we adopt in life all the time and it helps us to grow to a point where we discover the divine presence so divine is an all why don't we discover it because we are living on the surface this is as simple as that and the surface life is full of agitation excitement anger turbulence and all of them is driven by one entity called mr ego and mr ego along with the whiplash of desire so we are all the time driven by that and therefore the divine presence which is in everything is veiled so how do we contact how do we quieten so the first step of the way of works is that all action should be done as a sacrifice so this is how the ancient vedas say and and normally when we use the word sacrifice it gives the sense of oh self immolation it is not self immolation the original sense of the word is self purification through consecration and it's as simple as that that i do not work for the sake of satisfying my ego okay but equally not to satisfy somebody else's ego so when we try to think about my ego it's little easier for certain people but we end up it's not to become a martyr or 
to be at the altar of somebody else's ego, to please oneself or to please others is as equally fallacious. So the first step of the path of works, if you really want to engage and be a divine doer, doer of divine works, if you really want to engage in that is to start getting rid of this self-regarding ego which takes great joy in oneself, in satisfying itself. We do works for either outer reward, outer reward is money, prestige, position, throne we will occupy, inner rewards, praise or holding a little getting closer to certain, you know, people in position. So all these are outer rewards and inner rewards, subtle rewards. But the first thing to in works that we learn is that it is not done for any of these motives. So why would one work? Normally desire impulses to work. So work should become a worship of the divine. So it makes it so beautiful and there are several examples of work becoming a worship of the divine. And from the most mundane to the highest in fact, in work we learn first thing that there is no small or great because the divine pours himself equally in a little blade of grass as in the making of galaxies and the stars. He is as much pours entire energy in the building of an atom or in shaping a stone as in the mighty tornado and storms and the formation of galaxies, the dissolutions, everywhere is the same energy. So the first thing that one learns in work is that there is nothing big or small. It may be big or small to humanize, but it's not big or small as far as the divine is concerned. There is nothing small. He can pick up anything and what he picks up and touches becomes his. And what is his shares the beauty, the power, the glory of the divine. There is a nice little story in Ken Upanishad where the divine presents himself as the eternal on the doors of the gods who are enjoying a party. The party is in celebration of their victory over the Asuras. It's very interesting. They have won over the Asuras. So what else is left? They have won over the Asuras, but they have yet not learned the lesson of life. They have not won over themselves. So the divine comes concealed as eternal and presents himself and the, the gods do not know. Who is this person? They ask, where is your identity card? How can you enter there? How can you, are you invited, uninvited? And God who is concealed as the eternal says, well, I don't carry identity card. I assume the identity of the place and the people where I go. That's a Golmol answer. So Indra sends Agni to find out and Agni says, look here, you are not allowed entry. Uh, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the God asks him that, who are you? He says, you know, I am Agni. I know all births and I can destroy everything. I can consume everything. So, God says, oh, that's your power. He picks up a blade of grass and says, well, destroy this. And he tries to do it and he cannot. Why? Because it's held in the hand of the eternal. And then comes Vayu and the same dialogue follows. And then comes Indra and he disappears, vanishes. Even Indra with his subtle vision cannot comprehend him. And at the end, Indra discovered that the eternal who came disguised is none else but the Divine Mother. And so he is humbled, humbling of the gods. So the first lesson that we learn about works is that it's not big or small. A little blade of grass is equally containing the entire divine power, divine energy, divine presence in it. And all these human conceptions, some work is very big, 
some work is very small and not only that the beauty of works is not just the sense of who is doing what speaking for instance is a work listening is also a work sometimes a very painful work you know because <laughs> you have to listen <laughs> but it is a work because one is receiving things constantly processing them the brain is at work so work we have to first thing is that there is nothing big or small and second is one has to stop doing it for any outer or inner reward so why should one do because our life is driven by that so why should one do work because it's a worship of the divine how beautiful it can become whole life let nobody recognize let nobody even know notice and there are so many beautiful instances of this kind of work which is done solely as a service from taking care of a kingdom to simply doing a small little work for god and one instance many instances come to my mind one of them of course from the ramayana the scripture and then several in uh, you know uh, i'll speak of that also so in the ramayana there is an instance that bharat is given a kingdom he is the brother of rama but how does bharat run the kingdom he takes the um, you know slippers of rama and puts it on the throne says i am not the king you are the king but i am running it on your behalf if all of us who take care of you know administration and other things in life just remember this that it's not my place i am not an owner but i am just a trustee today i am there tomorrow somebody else will be there how life would change so beautifully and he must take the right decision because now he is doing it on behalf of rama at the same time when rama is going into the jungle it's very interesting what is his attitude rama he is saying he is the actual king i am only keeping a slipper so when rama is told that you are now a vanvasi why are you you know um, killing a rakshas who is trying to harm the rishis he says no i am a servant i am acting on behalf of the king of ayodhya <laughs> it's my task to do it so this attitude is so beautiful and on the other side there is the story of the squirrel who is rolling in the mud and putting water in sea that maybe sea level will come down a little and rama can build a bridge another aspect of work is in both cases they are worshiping the lord worshiping the divine for the sake of the divine they are doing it and when we do that still certain things can come in the way and one of them is i'll worship the divine i'll work for the divine but according to my idea of what i must do everybody has their idea everybody has their opinions and the more uh, opinionated a person the farther he is from truth that is the other part because truth has no opinions but a vision truth sees things it's not a viewpoint so <laughs> uh, there is this story of um, our uh, rishab chanji he joins the ashram and he is given the charge of furniture department it's such a wonderful book he has written shobindu's life unique and with you know a kind of mental clarity and intellectual understanding uh, of shobindu and his yoga and he was given a charge of furniture department he is very happy surrendered that whatever work i have been given is very nice writes a letter that night mother i am so grateful that you have given me work to work for you and next day mother gives him 
his first work first assignment the first assignment is kill the bugs in the cot now killing the bugs how can the divine ask me to kill the bugs despite reading the gita that the divine asks him to take the arrows and shoot his own kin but bugs how can it be he is a jain completely non violent so he keeps that letter on the side what he has written to the mother letter of gratitude writes one to shirvindo he will understand he is an indian huh? he is an indian he understands indian sensibilities mother doesn't know you know after all french how will she know what an indian non violent person is so he writes a letter to mother mother shirvindo that you know mother has given me this work perhaps she doesn't know that i am a jain so i can't kill so shirvindo replies back whatever work mother gives you is meant for your progress end of the story <laughs> so <laughs> no choice he does that work and the way he progressed and the kind of remarkable things that mother wrote about him something amazing so this idea when when we do divine work we do it with our own mental conception this is one of the biggest challenges of life of divine work otherwise we are driven by desire we want to do it so that i satisfy my desire if my senior says do it and it will get me promotion i'll do that that's how people live but when i have to do a work which is entrusted to me by the divine an important element of that is how to tune and know what the divine wants me to do and how he wants me to do it this is the biggest challenge so that's why the path of works when we look at the gita starts with the first thing necessary and it is have the knowledge without knowledge how are we going to do the work and this knowledge involves two things one is know that first is that you are an instrument then the worker then one with the master but that's a long sequence first thing to get the knowledge is to get behind the appearances of life both science and spirituality teaches the same thing if we are caught in the appearances if we get agitated excited about things then we cannot really understand this knowledge is deep within the embedded knowledge so first paradoxical thing in the gita that shri krishna tells arjuna is that learn to step back practice the yoga of buddhi intelligent will what is intelligent will do instead of throwing itself out it goes within in search of truth within and upward so shri krishna describes this buddhi as vyavsayitmak buddhi it is one pointed rather than bahushakhanam it's all the time all everywhere this first you discover what is knowledge so arjuna is very perplexed he says you are asking me to shoot now you are asking me to uh, you know awaken my buddhi tell me which is better he says buddhi yoga is better than just doing karmas ignorantly sarjana so says what are you trying to say tell me one thing so he says i am saying don't just rush into work discover step back from the whirlpool of forces and then you will see in a light within what is really happening as long as we are caught on the surface we will not get to know what's happening so the first step is to acquire knowledge without this knowledge base we'll just be rushing into action and we know that you know very often when we rush into action uh, fools rush where angels dare to you know 
<laughs> they don't dare to tread so human nature is like that because we don't understand so this is a practice which mother has given and it's a wonderful practice to step back and when we step back after a while we will the clouding of vision will be removed and we begin to discover that most of the things towards which we were reacting so much were so temporary and transient in nature so what is the eternal truth behind it that we must catch what is really sacred in any event the most sacred aspect we should catch it and then hold on to it and then try to express it so first step is to learn to step back so this is the first practice which shubhendra and the mother give us and then the next is we work still the work is hampered because of the limitations of the instrument we know this should be done and yet when we do it natural limitations come in for instance as a healer i may know what is to be done and yet when i get on to practicing it many aspects will come in the healing process in my own inner consciousness which will disturb the free flow of the divine in uh, through the works so that's why the next process is apart from nishkam karma consecration and purification yagna so all works have to be have to pass through this process of purification it's a very very long painstaking process uh it's literally burning in fire it means that thoroughly we have to keep on picking out every little bit of insincerity in nature everything that subtly expects something or the other it's like the person who says so uh you know when one wants to say i am not an egoistic person sometimes you hear such wonderful statement i am not an egoistic person now here one has given away <laughs> the i is still there it can take many subtle forms i am the instrument of the divine i am a divine worker i am doing divine works i am a channel of the divine so all these forms the ego may take and the subtler form it takes the more powerful it becomes for good or worse that's the interesting part instruments of the divine can sway in a completely different direction shobindo speaks about this in synthesis of yoga so how much care and caution is required so in this process of purification all work has to be done constantly must pass through this fire of purification and mother speaks of it as work is the anvil through which our nature gets purified it's the great purifier and she says our hours of contemplation should be always combined they are, they form a balance sit in contemplation and then throughout the day what happens through work we discover lot of things within ourselves what do we discover we discover arrogance we discover egoism we discover desire hidden in this corner that this corner we discover ambition we discover hundred things within us we may discover indolence we may discover indifference all these things sometimes the reward may be very subtle very very subtle you know even some people the the ultimate subtlest of things is to become you know mukti where one is freed from all this turbulence and chaos of the world but divine worker seeks none of this his only purpose is to serve the divine so this inner yagna of purification wherein the flame of aspiration is lit and the sign that this is lit is that when one is praised one is not seeking praise from people 
This one of the signs that the vital is getting converted. One is not going to people and seeking seeking prayer. One is indifferent to it. One doesn't have to say anything, but inwardly you have to be indifferent to praise. It's a it's a process and a long process, but many times or equally indifferent to criticism. So how does one become indifferent to criticism? Will one ever improve? Yes. If somebody criticizes, Mother gives a very nice, uh, wonderful, uh, you know, method. See, is there any truth in it? If there is a truth, change yourself. If you think, looking inside thoroughly, there is no truth in it, don't try to change the other person. Don't try to fight. Don't try to argue. Just understand that this is one of the ways of looking, human opinions. People have all kinds of opinions, viewpoints. There is no action upon earth which is unmixed. Invariably, people will look at it from many angles and they have a right to look at it. It's perfectly fine. This makes us grow vast. It doesn't matter. Every action in this world will be just, misjust and sentence passed. Rama is Rama, even though people say, why he killed Wali hiding from behind the trees? Why he banished Sita to the you know, forest? Why he made her walk through the fire? Now, this is not a talk on Ramayana, so I am not trying to explain. But Rama remains Rama. Krishna remains Krishna. People may raise questions. Why he played like this, the way he played? Why he got Karna killed, Dronacharya killed? Love Krishna, you will know the answers. Krishna will give the answers. Love Rama and he will teach us why this happened. People have raised fingers at everybody. You know, Mother Shurbindo. You will be surprised a case was filed in the court against Shurbindo. Why? Because misguiding a 17-year-old boy to join the ashram. People are people. So, not to worry about all that. But one thing one should be, only concern should be, am I aligned with the divine or not? So this entire nishkam karma and purification is so that we align more and more with the divine will. The only purpose for which one works is to express the divine will in life. What does it mean in life? Does it mean only when one is doing the job entrusted by, let us say, um, in the Auroville context or in the ashram context, this is a big problem. Because when we work in an organization, very often we think that the work which has been entrusted to us is the uh, divine work. So six-hour work in the department, I am now speaking of the ashram context, is the work given by the mother. But if we go into the understanding of works, all through the day it is work. Even rest, there is no rest to the embodied soul. Even when we are apparently sleeping, there is something going on. Our thoughts are works, our feelings are works. They are energies pouring into this world. So the work starts when in the morning we say bonjour. And if we say it with a grumpy face, then somehow or the other, knowingly, unknowingly, we have created one more difficult thing in the path of the divine. In his work, in the working of the divine grace, mother gave this work to Dara. He comes from the royal family, Hyderabad. So he said, "Mother, what shall I do?" She knows this fellow can cannot do much, you know, because he is born like a prince and grew up like a prince. Mother gave him this work. Be happy. Be happy. That's the work. After two days, mother, give me simple work. This is very difficult. <laughs> 
I tell you, being happy is such a work. It's such a collaboration to the divine. You know, I remember a story which uh, Dr. Bist once told me. He, he was once uh, finally director of WHO. Even in Jipmer, he was at one point of time director. And he he's the one who introduced the term spiritual health uh, in the entire definition of health. So he was telling me that, you know, everybody used to go uh, to take blessings of the mother. He would not go. I said, why? I said, this is a bit too much. So I still feel it was a bit too much. But his logic was very interesting. He said, when I would stand in the queue and go near, I saw that she's keep on giving. So 200% he said, just imagine doing this. So I thought, at least one person I'll save her from doing this. I said, you should have stood a little at the distance or said, Mother, I don't need this. But anyways, that's a way of looking at it. Not that that's to be, you know... Uh, ideal to be followed. Mother wants us to go near her. It's a joy. But the point is that if we are happy, we have reduced the burden of the exchequer. <laughs> so, at least you, divine will have one person less on whom he has to pour the energy just to pull us out of sadness. When we are sad, we make the world heavy. Man of sorrows, one of the asuras is the asura of suffering. We have sided with him. When we are unconscious, when we are, you know, falsehood, these are all obstacles to the divine working in this creation. So work is not just confined to work in the department, it's an all-constant phenomena. When we are speaking to people, communicating with people, when we are dealing with them, all these things. It, it doesn't mean that we have to just do namaste and say, yes, you are so nice, none of these things. That may be a falsehood equally. Modesty is a form of vanity. But... There are times when we have to be firm and we should be firm. But without any malice, without any hatred, all this is through the process of everyday life. Feelings, their energy is let into this world. And how much trouble and con confusion and chaos has been created in this world. If one looks into mother at one place, says when she was cleaning, um, one of the crows had you know, droppings of the crow on the balcony and she was cleaning it. And the one says, oh mother, give me this, I'll, I'll do it. She says, my child, there's nothing. You know, the mental atmosphere of human beings is full of filth. The word she used was filth. So much I have to work there to clean it. So, it is that inner atmosphere. That's what is the fragrance which, you know, incense we should light up. So, the moment we are cheerful, cheerfulness in workshop, in the speaks about it. When we are cheerful and actually when we work for the divine, it gives us joy. Joy is a, um, or rather a state of felicity. It's a wonderful barometer. Two, three things in my practice I have seen which are so wonderful. That if a person walks into your room smiling, you don't have to check the pulse. You are okay. You are okay. If the person is inwardly happy, good. Everything, progressing, good. And if one is all the time working, but all the time full of sadness, anxiety, agitation, even agitation about why God's work is not being done this way. The mother speaks about it in her prayer and meditation, sometimes wanting to do things exactly in the right way, itself becomes a bad will. Instead of that, just to be, you know, she says in Peace and silence, the eternal manifests. Allow nothing to disturb you. 
what disturbs us desire and egoism if you really look close at it these are the two things which disturb us i want things to be done in a particular way and if it doesn't happen i get disturbed all human beings are like that so to practice that inwardness to shift and be in a state of inner felicity which comes naturally when we give ourselves to the divine why won't it come it will naturally come because he is anandmay and if we are not in a state of inner felicity that means something has shifted inside some egoism has come stands as a barrier and we must discover and remove it so these are uh, the nishkam karma another practice which is so important is practice of equanimity gyan yogi doesn't need equanimity gyan yogis can be like you know durvasa could force and he could curse no equanimity with durvasa typical gyan yogi bhakti yogi doesn't practice equanimity he did not bhakti yogi is in a state of ecstasy and he may <laughs> just next moment equanimity is required in works because you are dealing with the world you cannot afford to cut yourself off from the world and equanimity is the basis on which the divine action can take place and this equanimity is at different levels at the physical level heat and cold at the vital level emotional level praise blame criticism all kinds of things hurts jealousies egoism and at the level of the mind all kinds of our viewpoints opinions so when we practice equanimity endurance was something very beautiful about the flower exhibition the ananda of endurance am i right i think so ananda of endurance endurance can give us ananda so these are the through practice of equanimity we become ready for the divine work so doing works no more with the motive of the desired self but with the sole motive to serve the divine as a worship to the divine consecration to the divine and eventually to let the divine flow in us and through us to become a channel crystal clear and that cannot be as long as there is turbulence and agitation so practice of peace calm quietude then how this work has to be executed that knowledge has to awaken within us and that knowledge awakens when we sincerely want to do the divine work the way divine wants us to work there is a very beautiful little anecdote of champaklal ji that at one point of time he tells the mother so many years i have been serving you the way i wanted to serve you now you tell me how you would want me to serve you it's a big leap and she smiled it's a big leap how you want me to serve you and this is something which is which may sound very strange but i can share this anecdote it, i learned it with a, in a very strange way so it was mother's grace that i got a chance to you know be with champaklal ji's service for uh, an hour or two hours uh, afternoon when he's taking a nap so i said very good all my dreams of being like lakshmana and hanuman at the service of the next best so i said okay i'll so shobindar's room with champaklal ji would be there so afternoon time i'll reach allotted time and i would be seriously sitting on my vajrasan you know so that i was given a fly this thing if you see a fly shoo it away and i am eagerly looking at flies where does the fly fly from north south i won't dare let a fly come in next day champaklal ji wrote relax <laughs> he could sense so i said but i am sitting i am relaxing that's not the way 
you just be there you don't have to be on you know tenter hooks and you know as if you are sitting on a bed of nails doing service even this idea i am doing service so he just told me relax so from that day i would sit quietly it gave me an understanding of what these people when you know when you read shurbindo's 12 years with shurbindo shurbindo is there and these six attendants were there if you read about their life some of them are reading sometimes kalivi shurbindo's favorite book so what were they doing because if you are relaxed then the divine force will work it is equally the divine is pouring into you this idea that we are doing work for the divine then i realized that okay there is a reason why i have been put there and work is a pretext at the same time i must do this work with complete diligence but there is a very subtle difference egoism brings that state that i must be you know as if um, uh, in hindi we have a nice expression tan ke baithna i am at the divine service so i am i have to be absolutely hawkeyed vigilant like that it's not a war like situation maybe in a war i should be like that <laughs> just be relaxed quiet and let the divine himself will tell us and then i realize something very interesting and that connects to the yoga of transformation that when we are in that state and we have the right attitude the divine will tell us what is to be done it is so amazing faculties begin to develop so i'll give you one example for instance all india magazine when uh, editing had to be done now you know you can have errors and everything uh, while doing it so suddenly your eyes will fall on the spot where it needs to fall because you are in that state you are open to the divine and the divine will tell you what is to be done and what way to be done what is to be said what is not to be said what has to be given what not what has to be taken back so that state is so conducive to doing divine works the quieter we are the better we work for the divine and the more agitated we are the the more difficult the work becomes and then when we have done these three things more and more god centered work more and more with the will to uh, let the divine flow through us then comes the last element of work which is the most important this work has to be motivated eventually in a state of love for god love comes in so in the gita we see these three aspects first is the gyan yoga buddhi yoga the second is karma yoga and the third is bhakti yoga it comes as the crown of it all so this work for the divine must slowly change into not just 6 hours work but a 24/7 work to be the divine servant to be the slave to be always at the service of the divine how we will do it we don't know if we have that aspiration even breathing heartbeat all actions the gita says something very interesting it takes time to understand sarv karmani whichever way such a person speaks or acts or lives he lives and speaks and acts in me it's amazing it's one has to go through that experience to understand that everything that is happening now one is just remains an open channel to let the divine influx flow but that requires a tremendous aspiration which has to be sanctioned at some point by the grace that yes so these are steps the six hour work that we do in a department or wherever we do is like a plant is put in a little pot so it takes roots but then the pot just plant is not meant for that as it grows it's planted in a wider field and then it becomes the big banyan tree which sends plenty of shoots down for many more plants to grow
So this is the process where ultimately a human being going through the path of works becomes so closely identified with the divine that he becomes a center for divine action in humanity. This is the grand culmination of works. One becomes a center for the divine action upon this earth in this world. And then for such a person, what is the ultimate reward? What does the divine give? People often ask, are you taken care of in the ashram context? What do they give you? They give you a room, they give you this, that. Question is asked, no? Sometimes very worldly-minded, practical people say, ah, all that is given, but we are given something else. How much, um, what kind of room, all this? I said, yeah, this is given. This can be given elsewhere, but something else is given, which is not given elsewhere. So what is it? We recover the smile lost from nature's face. One of the greatest damaging things that happens as children grow up is they lose their smile. They lose, they forget how to laugh. <laughs> they forget how to be happy. It comes spontaneously. This is the divine gift. After all, he is anandame. What more is really required? <laughs> Through all this rigmarole of life, we want that little joy of life. Here it's not just joy, but felicity and upgraded to ananda. This is the delight of works. So ultimately, works leads to a progressive identification with the divine. So what about outer life? Who takes care of that? Divine takes care of that. This is a great assurance. It's a big leap of faith. And he takes care in the smallest details. Because after all, it is his. Imagine, I take this example. Somebody who is doing works for the divine with this idea. Even if you are working for a human company, even nowadays a good CEO will take care of you at least, you know, he'll give you some money and pay package and all. Imagine when one is working for the divine, won't he take care? He will take care, but there is a leap of faith. This is the implicit bond. Just as when we join a company, we sign a contract. So when we join DDC, Divine Development Company, that's what this creation is. Divine development. We sign a bond. What is the bond? Divine tells us, you do outer work, I will do your inner work. Alright. So this contract is signed, testament is signed by faith on our side. And the signature of the divine grace on the other side. This is how this bond is signed. We have to sign it with faith. Not reading all those things. You know? There are some people who keep on reading contract. Supramental has come, when it will come, what it will come. All this, probably lifelong lives they will spend analyzing the supermind. Whereas there are people who are getting transformed and moving ahead. At the end of the day, still the debate will continue. You know, at the end of life will be like, and the debate continues. Where is the supermind? And you tell them it is there in the child. You see, your grandchild is having the supramental. <laughs> No, 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 he argues with me too much. That's the supramental. He's breaking your mental hard crust. Don't you see that it is God smiling and laughing at you? That beautiful poem of um, uh, Subramanyam Bharti. Ways of God's working. We discover when we enter into divine work. Ways of God's working. It's a beautiful poem. One of the must read Subramanyam Bharti's. Kannan, my disciple. He has all kinds of notions about what a disciplined person should be. And he, he takes great pride. I have made many people disciplined. 
So one lady comes and says, "Here is my little boy. He is the most undisciplined fellow. Can you change him?" Oh yes, he takes him. He tries what it may. The boy will not study. He will run around. Everything is doing except being disciplined. And he says, "I give up. I have tried everything. I can't anymore." Then the boy smiles and says, "Okay, <laughs> give me what work you want to give me." He says, "What? What a change has come on you!" And he discovers it's none else but Kannan Krishna. He came to change him. He thought he is going to discipline him, but he came to change him. It's a beautiful poem. It's available in English. Kannan, my disciple, but the disciple is the teacher. So when we take to this journey, pride should never come that I know. Rather, it. Gives us with a fills us with a sense of wonder. One of the first thing that the knower of Brahman realizes is that none knows him. That is the last verdict. Whoever says that he knows it knows it not. Avigyatam vijanata avigyatam avijanata. And who has not the thought of it knows it. How does it know it? He reveals himself in the way he wants to reveal. He is not carrying the burden of books on his head. You know, scholarly petrified wisdom. Thus, it is written according to sloka number this. Thus, it is written in the Psalms. Thus, is it written. The Vedas are written in the heart of the creature. And as we begin to serve, serve the divine, all the tegments he opens. Why? Because God is as much keen to meet us. In fact, it is said much more keen. Poor fellow was suffering alone, so he created this marvelous creation that I'll have company. <laughs> He wants our company because of which this wonderful, amazing, delightful, dangerous creation is. Shivendra describes it as wonderful, perilous earth on which we have come. He is keen to meet us, but we want to hide under this cover. You come to me, but according to my mental conceptions. What is your mental conception, sir? Krishna asks Arjuna. You won't ask me to raise arms, no? Tell me first. That's precisely what I am going to tell you. Raise your arms, sir. Please, mother says that you know somebody said I am ready to do anything for the sake of the divine, except lift the sword because I know that the God will never ask me to do it. And the mother asks, "Are you so sure?" And he's quiet. All these things come in the way. To just be quiet, it doesn't mean lift the sword and the chanda and say <laughs> not that, but he made the plasticity to to the divine. openness to the divine receptivity to the divine and that can only come when we have got rid of all these notions including notions of good bad it's a high state through which the seeker ultimately arrives what he wants me to do let him do through this body the body life force they are all offered as a channel like a chalice he pours the wine of ananda he pours the light of wisdom he pours the energy through which the work is done and then one experiences that the fullness of the divine worker in the end still there is something which is left because all this is already there in the in the great scriptures what is left still the bodily instrument with its present makeup still the human limits the divine the brain cannot receive the divine consciousness energy beyond a point 
That's why uh, now Shurbindo is Shurbindo. See, 12 hours he could write directly on the typewriter. But an average human being, the only thing they can do 12 hours is gossip. Beyond it, it's very difficult. <laughs> Brain is wired for gossip. Two hours fighting they can do, verbal fighting. After which both get exhausted. And you know what I mean by saying both. After, <laughs> then after some time when they are exhausted, they need, must need some energy. So again they start, you see you said that. And the other person, but you said that. When did I say it? Two months back. Bas, again two hours fighting goes on. This is our, because we are wired to receive only this kind of energy. But the human system gets fatigued. This is the problem with the human body. It gets fatigued. So, divine energy, it must be able to receive and receive and receive and keep on expanding as it receives. This is what Shurabindo speaks of in, uh, you know, um, in the beginning in one of his essays. No human system can do it unless it is ready to progressively surrender. Progressive surrender. As we grow in consciousness, we have to keep surrendering even that. All experiences, realizations, everything has to be surrendered at the feet of the divine. And allow him to pour and pour and pour without fatigue. And a lot of practices in yoga are so that this fatigue in the brain, in the body, conserving energy, taking it upward, all this is because of that. So one of the ways Shurabindo helps us is simply through his writings. Initially when we read it, we feel sleepy. Because brain is not wired to receive it. We think that Shurabindo could not have written simple language. No, he wants us to engage in yoga even through the writings. After some time we say, yeah, I understand a little bit, you know, that some place in Savitri is written like this. Then slowly we begin to enjoy it. Then after some time, not one paragraph, two paragraphs, a whole chapter, then we want to read another. Then at some point of time, knowledge leaps from within. The brain is no more fatigued. Same with the heart. To love endlessly in all forms the divine. It doesn't mean go insensibly everywhere and say, Oh, you are divine, you are divine and start embracing everybody. <laughs> but whoever comes to you and whatever form of love, but take it that it is the divine who one loves. How beautifully she says. Is the div- and not just you are loving the divine. Divine in you loves the divine in the other person. And she says that one has to be very strong and wide and mighty to receive this vibration pure and let it be transmitted without any obstacle. So all this is a grand culmination. But because the human instrument is limited, heart is so limited, how will it comprehend divine love? Even a little bit of happiness, joy or sorrow and the heart begins to give palpitations. So to receive divine love means the heart has to also change. Life energy, it is prone to fatigue, the physical body. So that's why Shrivinda says the perfection of works can only come when the body also gets transformed. So we see that to the yoga of the Gita, Shrivinda adds a completely new dimension. And it is the transformation of the instruments. Because these instruments, even when we want to serve the divines, through service they get upgraded. Yet they are limited. The Yoga of the Gita doesn't talk about transformation of the instruments. Shubindu says, unless they are transformed, we still cannot fully engage in the path of works. Because it's not just discovering the divine within, but manifesting the divine. In this yoga, that is the goal. So they get transformed 
this yoga specifically that is the whole thing to open to the mother to receive to keep on growing progressing and at each step it's a whole journey wonderful journey and as these instruments get transformed more and more we'll be able to do the works with perfection that is the divine perfection and without this to take an example one is a healer or whatever one is doing let's say in a garden one is working so ordinarily we will do according to the traditional knowledge which is there but we can do it dedicating to the divine and engage in karma yoga which is called as ordinary karma yoga but when we want to uh, when the instrument begin to change then we will get the knowledge from within what is to be done you see we read something about the cycles of nature and the time for the flowers we will know with an inner knowledge what is to be done with a plant at a given point of time see how the mother would go and the uh, vegetables will tell her take me take me i am ready i am ready some will say don't take me don't take me eventually even the instruments would change and start adapting and accommodating she would say when you pick up something from uh, a vessel you have to weigh it should be your hand should pick up just the right amount so that way the consciousness can develop and entirely changes the right word when one is speaking when one is writing all this should happen like an automatic spontaneous divine phenomena then all life will become an ex- wonderful expression of the divine so this is the grand culmination i'll stop with this uh, lovely poem of shirbindo and then if there is some question we can take up the poem is the divine worker it gives us the secret of how to work for the divine maybe before that one little thing because often people ask about collective work how to create collective harmony one thing we must be very clear it can never be done in the typical democratic way of discussion and debate because everybody will have their opinions everybody has their freedom how are we ever going to arrive and everybody is ignorant three basic things everybody has their viewpoint and everybody holds to his viewpoint very strongly everybody has their ego that i am right and everybody is ignorant so we'll be land up in that situation of alice in wonderland all have come first and all will get the prizes so the only way it can be done is by centering things around the divine individual life centered around the divine collective life centered around the divine and since we are doing it in the context of orville we have such in the charter itself when she speaks about orville belongs to nobody in particular etc she added look at the divine wisdom she added but to live in orville one must be willing servitor of the divine so this centering of life around the divine what does the divine want that's all that is important what i want what i think what somebody else thinks what somebody else feels they may be fantastic things during the war of mahabharata duryodhan felt he is right he was strongly convinced he is right he felt that wrong has been done against my father therefore he has a right claim to the throne gandhari felt that you know krishna is doing something very wrong by inciting arjuna and others to battle that's how they felt and and yet history has proven the last verdict but for mahabharata india would not have been saved 
So this centering of life around the divine in a collective can only be possible in two ways. One is by a mutual goodwill that people understand that this is the goal. It's not you or me. There are no two sides. There is one side and it is the divine. What does the divine want or what does the divine want? Another way is people who are to take decisions, let me put it practically, should be aligned with the divine. And mother has even described who, what would be the characteristics of these people. They would be literally like sannyasis who are yogis, if we want in one word, who have no personal interest in anything, no desire for anything. This is how she explained. Four to eight people in a hierarchy. This is how you know it, it, things can happen. Or else the third way, the long route which humanity seems to have preferred is that each one grows ultimately. One day we will grow in the divine consciousness. All of us, this is our destiny. Through all kinds of push, pull, all kinds of things, to grow in that divine consciousness, we, we spontaneously harmonize. When somebody, does, people don't even have to say, there will be a unanimous decision. You know, when mother and Shubhindu spoke, they didn't use words. And mother said, when people heard her, if people looked at us, they would not understand what am I saying and what is he responding? So these are the three roots. The first is the best, to center things around the divine. Fortunately, the divine has given us almost everything in return. This time he didn't want to leave it to human consciousness. Everything, whether you look at the ashram management, whether you look at Auroville, everything, one has to read into it and one will see what is there. Second, People who are risen in consciousness, they are the ones who govern. Very difficult thing. Because even if people have risen to consciousness, they will be, you know, <laughs> it will be very difficult. Who can claim and who can lay claim? Third is the long route humanity always prefers. Keep aligning. One day, more and more people will get aligned to the divine consciousness and then the divine will be done. These are the only three routes. There is no other way. Debate, discussions can carry on even after shedding the body. You know, when two people die fighting each other in their vital, this is a fact by the way, in their vital sheaths, they don't have swords but they fight. Till finally the angels come and say, please, now... You are no more in their home, in your home or earth. Fights are no more allowed. They say, no, no, we want to fight. Okay, then go to the dark Asuric worlds. That's how it is. So these are the three approaches. So which humanity will take? Hopefully, the first one. Or at least the second one. The third is a painful path. But those who want to take this approach, here is the guidance from Sri I face earth's happenings with an equal soul. In all are heard thy steps, thy unseen feet. Tread destiny's pathways in my front. Life's whole tremendous theorem is thou complete. To look at the totality of everything. See, this is the difference between a linear way of looking at life and the larger way of looking at life. Linear ways, this causes this. And the larger, the entire play of forces at one point of time. Life's tremendous theorem is thou complete. No danger can perturb my spirit's calm. 
why it cannot perturb no danger can perturb my spirit's calm my acts are thine i do thy works and pass failure is cradled on thy deathless arms success is victory is thy passage mirrored through fortune's glass for the divine worker there is no failure or success in fact in life in creation there is nothing like failure failure it means only a temporary halt or a temporary retrogression for an eventual success that's what the cycles of pralaya means there is nothing like an eventual failure nothing can eventually frustrate the divine will there will be temporary setbacks but each setback is a greater learning greater learning that's how the spirals of evolution go in this road combat with the fate of man where do i get this strength this surendra johar asked mother where do i have the strength everybody opposes me he said the strength she said the strength is within you and shubhendra puts it so beautifully in this road combat with the fate of man thy smile within my heart makes all my strength to contemplate the divine smile in all things many things will happen life is full of that it is a root combat none can ever pass to heaven who has not passed through hell <laughs> if one has not passed through hell that means heaven's gates are still closed <laughs> she has given us the straight sunlit path but still the challenges and difficulties of outer life are there thy force in me labors at its grandiose plan it's not my plans my doing your force is laboring and through countless beings forms we can't even imagine the way divine works if we look at the long passage of time in history then we will see something some glimpse of it how the divine force was working sometimes concealed sometimes on the surface sometimes through formation of empires sometimes through the collapse thy force in me labors at its grandiose plan indifferent to the time snakes crawling length time snake is sheshnag it is it moves slowly yet we must even if one knows that there is a sure failure yet must one do what one feels impelled within to do offering it to the divine will and there is a reason why for knowledge has been kept away from man otherwise he'll stop progressing because there is a joy in the victory when doing divine works shubhendra describes about the sword the sword is a joy in the hiss and the battle the sword is a joy when it is kept in the master with the master in the sheath the sword is a joy when it is broken and cast aside that equal joy discover and then at the end he says no power can slay my soul it lives in thee that is the great felicity of the divine worker no power can slay my soul it lives in thee thy presence is my immortality so this is the great path the wide path of works open for us wherever we are we can practice it but 
yes one has to be engaged with the world because there are no works just sitting quietly and going within one can do inner works if one has reached that point but still one is engaged in the work inner work mother spoke about it that there are people who will be engaged in inner work but uh, more often than not uh, i mean shurvind was doing inner work while sitting in the room but works is the path through which the divine unfolding takes place in creation that's the beauty of this path so any questions uh, or anything any comments remarks observations flowers represent the soul in the vegetal kingdom just as birds represent the soul the psychic in the animal kingdom so flowers represent the soul of the vegetal kingdom so they live in a beautiful atmosphere and so too can we when we live in the soul we can live in a beautiful atmosphere individually and collectively that is what mother and shubhendra repeatedly remind us to live in the soul and to look at all things from that vision yes flower that's what we learn from flowers she spoke of these qualities and she said how happy who can exchange his own qualities with those of flowers i mean i was just mentioning looking at the exhibition the entire yoga is there just one element if one picks up faith for example that's enough to take us right from the beginning to the end any one quality we pick up will take us yes please like uh, should work from the mind still but is there a guideline like it's not my way or my ego or my desire yes so so there are again three ways of going about it one is when directly the divine has said something so that's why i believe mother and shubhendra took so much great pains unlike any other avatar or sage or seer in every detail of life they have gone and explained look at it uh, i mean i was reading about orwells we were talking about orwell's context even about what a management should be what really it should be uh, she went on to give a plan which is like a, ma- a yantra it's a yantra actually it's a symbol like mother symbol if you look at the plan it's like the galaxy it's a symbol so she went into great detail to give it so then it's very easy we have the uh guidelines but these gli- guidelines she did not give give in a rigid way in the sense that um there ha- it's a freedom through which we have to evolve she gave a guideline but she didn't put it like this if you don't don't follow it you will be you know like not like a dogma and yet the guideline is there for everything it is there but people don't follow that's a different thing altogether she gave this freedom to man uh, for instance recently there was this corona outbreak If you read through Mother and Shurvindo's letters, very clearly they have told us what is to be done, including about masks, including about san, you know, sanitation of hands. She says that it brought fear into people. Masks, sanitation. She speaks about you know uh, absurdity of many of these things. She speaks about how to face these things in with an inwardness. She spoke about it, but at the same time, divine is like a, a you know benevolent dictator. That's how the word mother used. he will not push you from outside but he will gently push us from inside
So this, so the second way is when we don't find a guideline. Second way is to go within and look inside. And one of the tests about ego and desire is: is there an insistence or a vehemence in the being? It should be done like this. Then there is the ego at play because one of the characteristics of the divine is he is a perfect gentleman. The divine presence, huh? divine mother can be a tornado. But divine presence is like a gentleman. See, it will be nice if you do it. Now, up to us. But if you leave it to the divine mother, she will come, make us hold us and do it. <laughs> she will not say anything. So that opening, that surrender is required. That is also very difficult for man. So the third is that in every organization, now I am speaking of the organizational context, there is a hierarchy. See, we have forgotten it. Shirvinder and the mother both have spoken about it. Hierarchy is a truth of creation. You can't do away with it. Why hierarchy is truth? Though all human beings are lookalikes, we are all, I mean, we should not believe in color and all this is meaningless. But there is an inner hierarchy in creation where are, there, there are some people that's why in ancient India, the ultimate guide was the seer, not the king. So the king went to the seer and followed what the seer had said. So the hierarchy exists in creation and it's very difficult for the modern liberal mind to understand. Shubhinda took great pains to explain this. But it should be a true hierarchy. So ultimately... I mean, if you want to put it like that, the ways of democracy are numbered. It's a wonderful gift to get the world freed from that kind of a rude, crude, asuric dictatorship, definitely. But the way this, the ball doesn't, the ball of evolution doesn't stop here. Automatically, through the process of evolution, you will see individuals who have gone ahead and that hierarchy will be there. These are the three ways. Well, human beings, one day or the other, will find it, figure out. And the only other way is finally to grow into intuition. There is no other way that uh, it can be resolved. At the rational level, there is no conclusive answer. There is a line in Savitri which sums it up so beautifully. An inconclusive play is reason's toil. And he describes the reason like an advocate. Whoever gives him the brief, he will take his side. The reason can justify anything. It's one of the elementary exercises. I have indulged as a child. I used to say, give me a proposition, I want to prove the other way around. Why? Because you can do it. Then you discover that the reason can actually take you very far from the truth of things. Depending upon our already predetermined choices. Clinicians do it, they know it. They have decided when a patient has answered that this is entered that this is probably this disease. Then all their mind is working in that direction. Like I will see always some psychological issues. <laughs> okay. The mind is primed and programmed. So we look at things in that way. So, but right now human beings still have great faith in the power of reason. So they have to go through. The world is breaking down because it has to one day discover that there is a greater power than that. But as of now, we see only a world built by reason and order which had its purpose without a doubt is now crumbling down. You see it world over. It's evident everywhere. So it's a painful process. Meanwhile, those who are ready should grow into intuition, read Mother and Shurbindo and try to organize whenever there is a collective decision.
if something she has said that should be brought out not viewpoints my viewpoint that viewpoint she has seen through the divine vision why can't we have simple trust that well if she has said something she has seen large spaces of time i mean as simple as that why complicate the mind with 100 things which of course the mind can endlessly complicate i have heard people say oh it was what mother said was relevant for that time mother sees through thousands of years ahead that's why she is the mother if she would see through small spaces of time she would not be who she is that's the difference between her supramental vision and our little mortal vision and there are countless examples of this which i need not repeat but to learn to trust in the divine embodied divine the avatar that's enough but it's so difficult for human nature very difficult mr reason i don't want to say miss desire mr reason mr desire mr ego mr doubt messers arrogant self will and company distrust they stand as strong sentinels on the way they will not allow the divine to easily have his way the entire band of consigned his company have put a guard at the human brain everywhere they put a guard now we know better divine may think but divine okay the divine does not know our realities of life actual problems of life <laughs> he becomes human to go through the problems of life still we say he doesn't know so well humanity has to go away long way but we should remain peaceful he knows ultimately he has all the balls in his hand every coordinate no human will can finally prevail against the divine will only we can have the path which is beautiful harmonious or we can have a path which is through all the clash of strife of forces well to each his choice okay thank you namaste